the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thanks a lot, CDC. Well, I had a great idea for the hockey playoffs, and the CDC went and ruined it. Before I tell you how, here's what my plan was. You know, the the playoffs start this weekend, uh, weekend, as I'm sure you know, and uh, with capacity, as far as I know, still limited to 50%, with everybody wearing masks. That was the plan. Now, I came up with what I think is a brilliant idea. I'm sure you're aware that when a player scores three goals, it's called a hat trick, and everybody throws hats on the ice. Well, my idea was to change it to a mask trick, and instead of throwing hats on the ice, everybody could throw their masks if somebody got a hat, uh, uh, got three goals in one game. But the CDC, being the party poopers that they are, came out a little while ago and announced that people who are fully vaccinated against coronavirus no longer need to wear masks while indoors or outdoors or physical distance in either large or small gatherings. CDC Director Dr. Rochelle Walensky, uh, she announced it during a, a White House uh, COVID-19 briefing just a little while ago. Uh, and I still think that when this insanity is completely over, we will find out that the masks were pretty much useless and people were tortured with them for 15 months for no reason. And here's what else Dr. Walensky said, quote, we have all longed for this moment when we can get back to some sense of normalcy. You think? Uh, based on the continuing downward trajectory of cases, the scientific data on the performance of our vaccines and our understanding of how the virus spreads, that moment has come for those who are fully vaccinated. Uh, unquote. She also said that uh, people who are not immunized should consult with their doctor before they go anywhere without a mask. Nobody's going to do that, of course. And this is obviously just a response to the stupidity of telling people that, uh, you know, they, they should go get a vaccine, then expecting them to get a vaccine, and then telling them after they got the vaccine that they still have to wear a mask. And then they expect people after all that to say, yeah, I'll go get a vaccine, which I'm still not sure uh, that sure is good for me yet. Anyway, people were saying no to that, and they obviously are trying to boost the numbers of people getting vaccinated. People were just, uh, they, they just weren't going to get vaccinated if you had to keep wearing the mask and go through the stupidity. So this should work. And speaking of hockey, uh, with the playoffs uh, starting this weekend, I thought it would be a good time to take a little break from the normal stuff we talk about around here. Uh, Josh Yoey, who's the Penguins beat writer for The Athletic, co-authored a piece with Rob Rossi, who also covers the Penguins for The Athletic. It's about the amazing careers of Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin. And the fact that they've been here, believe it or not, it's hard to believe, but they've been here 15 years. Two guys, two of the best players ever to play their sport, and they've been together on the same team for 15 years. He'll be here at 535 to talk about that. But when we come back, how Joe Biden is still trying to jam critical race theory down the throats of kids all over America and what should be done about it. Stick around. of fur. Our hairballs have hairballs. Our cat mama, she's 10 years old. She has dandruff and an oily coat. I have two cats, Zippy and Daisy. Daisy sheds like crazy. If you love your pets as much as I do, you want to do what's best for them, to live long, healthy, happy lives. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. I just tried this wonderful, catalicious Dynavite for cats, and my cat has been on it for two weeks. She is not scratching anymore. She's not chewing anymore. It is just the best. I was thrilled when I heard Dynavite for cats was coming out because I'd seen the changes in my dog. To introduce my cat to Dynavite, I took the advice from Dynavite and put their food on top of just a scoop in the bowl just to get them used to it because I know if I even switch one little thing, they put their nose up to it. There was not one problem. Dynavite for life. You won't believe how happy your cat will be. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. 
Windows, it's finally time to replace that old leaky roof, or how about some new siding? You can count on Windows or Us, the area's premier exterior replacement company. This is John Steigerwald. With over 50 years' experience in the home remodeling industry, Windows or Us offers repair and replacement for roofs, siding, gutters and downspouts, windows, entry doors, even decks. A leaky roof left unfixed can lead to mold and mildew. Maybe you lost siding during the recent windstorms. Don't put those repairs off. Windows R Us offers 12 months no interest financing and no processing fee through Dollar Bank. Want new factory direct replacement windows for your home or office? Choose from 100% vinyl, commercial aluminum, wood, and composite. And how'd you like to never clean your gutters again? For a limited time, get a free gutter filter with the purchase of complete siding or roof replacement. That offer's valid through 63021. All with 12 months, no interest, no processing fee, and backed by the best warranty in the industry. Schedule your free estimate and inspection today at windowsoruspittsburgh.com. That's windowsoruspittsburgh.com. It seems like just yesterday when I captured my son's first steps or when we recorded his soccer games on VHS tapes, those moments are gone. But the old home movies and pictures don't need to be. That's why my son created Legacy Box. That's right, Mom. Over 800,000 families have used Legacy Box to digitally preserve their home movies and photos. Simply fill Legacy Box with your old camcorder tapes, film, and photos. They will professionally digitize and send them back on DVDs, thumb drive, or the cloud. With families staying close and Mother's Day around the corner, it's the perfect time to get your Legacy Box and save your family's history. After all, few things are as important as protecting your precious memories. Give your mom a Mother's Day present she'll never forget. Plus, Legacy Box is offering a 50% discount. Order your Legacy Box today. Visit LegacyBox.com slash LBOX. And for a limited time, get an incredible 50% off your order. This is one of the best discounts we've offered. That's LegacyBox.com slash LBOX for 50% off. LegacyBox.com slash If you're thinking of replacing your carpets due to pet stains and odors, you must try Genesis 950. The reviews are amazing, as this is one product that actually works. With water, it breaks down the bonds of stains and odors, so they're gone for good. Its antibacterial component removes pet odors from carpet and padding. It can be used in a carpet cleaning machine, and it's green, so it's safe for your family and pets. Genesis 950 is made in America. If you are tired of pet cleaners that don't work, it's time to buy Genesis 950. One gallon of industrial-strength Genesis 950. 950 makes up to seven gallons of cleaner. But Genesis 950 is not just for pet stains. It's great for bathrooms, kitchens, floors, upholstery, and grease stains. Consider Genesis 950 before purchasing new carpets. Genesis 950 has great customer service. Order one gallon direct at Genesis950.com to receive a free spray bottle, free shipping, and $10 coupon using code PETS. That's $10 coupon using code PETS. That's Genesis950.com. Discount only available at Genesis950.com. Genesis 950. Much Cheaper than replacing your carpets. You're listening to the John Steigerwald Show on AM 1250. The answer. Hey, it looks like kids are finally going to be allowed to breathe in school if they're allowed in school. I guess they're going to be allowed to do that too. Anyway, no more masks. Unfortunately, a lot of kids all over the country will still be having bad information stuffed down their throats. You've heard all about uh, critical race theory. The big push is on now from the Biden administration, though. Lindsay Burke is the fellow in education policy at the Heritage Foundation. She joins us now. Lindsay, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. So uh, the first line of your piece at the nationalinterest.org, for people who want to check it out, nationalinterest.org, says, quote, if the Biden administration gets its way, the uh, the federal government will soon be alternatively bribing and threatening every school district in the country to push divisive and damaging curricula on race in the classroom. That's pretty strong stuff. Uh, How are they going to do that? Well, they're going to do it by prioritizing grants for programs that include critical race theory in their content. And historically, these programs, which are known as the American History and Civics Initiatives, have focused on the teaching of traditional American history. And now the Biden administration is turning that on its head and uh, giving priority to programs that instead infuse critical race theory, which is the uh, antithesis of traditional civics education as we have all come to know it. Now, you know, there's some question in everybody's mind about how much Joe Biden is aware of anything that's going on. But um how much, I mean, it just seems strange to me that a guy as uh, Joe Biden's age 
who you would think would have been a pretty patriotic guy, regardless of what you think of his politics, and would have a great appreciation for America and all that stuff, and how it would be that he would know this is going on and be okay with it. It just it doesn't make any sense to me. Well, this is an issue that has really just permeated K-12 education in recent years because it's finally made its way out of colleges of education, out of academia, and really into the rest of America. I mean, this is something that really was the domain of academics for many decades. And now what we're seeing is that teachers who have been steeped in this stuff through their colleges of education are now in the K-12 classroom, and they're bringing it with it, with them. And you know, the, the tenets of critical theory really are, critical race theory in particular, it's really a pernicious ideology to, to teach children, to teach young children. And now we see the Department of Education trying to advance this through official federal policies that basically say that students' futures are determined by the color of their skin. I mean, that's, that's the last thing the Department of Education or any state agency or any school for that matter should teach children that they, sh- that they are should be stereotyped and judged and denounced uh, based on skin color as critical race theory does. So the Department of Education should abandon this rule and any related efforts. So what will be the consequences for school districts that don't want to have the 1619 project or the teachings of Ibram uh, X. Kendi as part of their curriculum? Yeah, so right now the consequence is potential loss of access to federal funding that pertains to these American history and civics initiatives. And so at the moment, the amount of federal funding is is relatively modest. It's just the federal funding for those two programs. But what is problematic in particular is that if this rule were to be implemented, it means that critical theory is then infused into the Elementary and Secondary Education Act which is the largest federal law governing K-12 education in the country. And so even though right now it is limited to one particular program within that law and the funding that surrounds it, uh, this really could be the beginning of uh, critical race theory making its way into broader applications of education in federal law. Uh, I, I, maybe this isn't a question that's, uh, you, you wouldn't, maybe it's not a fair question, but um, how aware would would uh, would individual teachers be about this uh, you know what that it's coming number 1 if it hasn't arrived at their school already and how much power would they have it within their union to push back on it individual teachers the unions are not right. going uh, not going to stand up for them are they right so this is a very good question we have seen uh, recently in particular that the unions continue to have a tremendous amount of influence on federal policy. We saw it with the union really working hand in glove with the CDC as the CDC crafted its school reopening policies a few weeks back. And so we know that uh, that information flow between the unions and the Biden administration is is quite strong. And so uh, that's certainly not something that I would anticipate the union to help with, to help teachers push back against against this theory, but it really is, I do think it's something that more and more teachers and more and more families are becoming aware of, and when they do become aware of it, they don't like what they see. This is one of, I think, the the silver linings, if we can call it that, of the pandemic over the last year, because schools were closed at the behest of the unions, by the way, uh, many parents were able to actually see what their children were being taught in school because they were having to do class via Zoom, and so they got a a taste of what public schools were teaching their children. And so for the first time, I think a lot of families became familiar with critical theory, with the 1619 project and all of these ideas that are really starting to infiltrate schools. Things like uh, uh, math being racist, which is something that we're seeing in California, uh, the school board there and, and throughout the Pacific Northwest really pushed this idea of changing how math is taught, that instead of teaching math fundamentals, uh, that children are now learning that math is a racist construct and that they need to use math as resistance. So when parents see this, they, they are unhappy about it. They are starting to make their voices heard and push back. Yeah, and um, you would think that something called the Department of Education would be reluctant to present a program that's been debunked 
to the degree that the 1619 project has been debunked, but they're doubling down. I mean, it'd be different if this if this 1619 project had you know come on with a big splash, and then over time, little you know bits and pieces of it were were uh, taken out or or were criticized, but. The whole premise has pretty much been destroyed, and they're still they're still going with it. Right, and this is something that we pointed out in comment that we submitted on the proposed rule that the Department of Ed has put forward that it would financially encourage grant applicants to teach what is a revisionist view of American history. And that view of American history, which is represented in projects like the 1619 Project and elsewhere, really has been contested in large part by renowned historians across the political um, spectrum. I mean, it is by no means uh, a representative or consensus view of actual historical events. Uh, and so, you know, not, not only are there the inaccuracies inherent in, in that project, but just this broader idea of teaching critical theory that, you know, there, which critical theory holds that there is no truth. There are only competing narratives. Uh, or perspectives. If you've ever heard the phrase lived experience before, uh, critical theorists believe that lived experience matters more than facts. And of course, at the core of critical theory is this idea that due to largely skin color, you are either an oppressor or oppressed. And that designation is predetermined by immutable characteristics such as race. Uh, so this is why I say it really is a pernicious ideology to be uh, teaching children in schools across the country, in addition to the fact, as you point out, that there are major historical inaccuracies in, in things like the 1619 Project. We're talking to Lindsay Burke. She's a fellow in education policy at the Heritage Foundation. And you can, uh, you can find her piece at uh, the national, national, is it the national interest.org or just nationalinterest.org? Nationalinterest.org. Yeah, sorry, nationalinterest.org. Um, so you mentioned what's happening out there in the Northwest. Uh, that you know, whatever happens in Portland and, and Oregon, for that matter, shouldn't surprise anybody. But is it? It and and you can understand it being maybe in the Northeast. But how's this? How are they being even think that they can get this through in in the, the red states and in the South? Right. So unfortunately, this is not something that is just the domain of blue states. Uh, it's not the domain of, you know, just the, the coastlines across the country. We see it uh, in states uh, everywhere in school districts across the country, because, as I mentioned earlier, it's something that colleges of education have really just uh, moved forward with uh, with complete support and have used it in their teacher training programs to uh, instruct teachers. And those teachers, of course, are disseminated in classrooms across America after going through these programs at colleges of education. And so we find it everywhere. Um, we know that uh, about uh, one-third of professors in colleges of education who study issues pertaining to race, and that's a, a big uh, number of professors who do that, but about a third of those professors do so through the lens of critical race theory. And that really is, I don't think it's uh, hyperbolic to say at the core of what many colleges of education are teaching today. And so that's why we see it spread as much as we have across the country and particularly in the K-12 education system. And, you know, one of the things that, that uh, the dynamic here that is a pretty kind of a new thing is that, you know, I'm, I was uh, brought up in the '60s, and and you know, in grade school, 50 years ago, uh, and um, actually, it's longer than that. Uh, I'm 72 years old, so I've been around a while. But when I went to school and I came home with a history lesson, or if I if I would, you know, uh, just bring up the uh, the topic at the dinner table about what I learned in history that day, my parents could relate to it because that's what they were taught. But that's not going to be the case anymore. Kids are going to be coming home from school, and they're going to be um, they're going to be challenging their parents about this stuff, aren't they? If they probably are already, and and consider yeah. thinking that their parents are racist if they think that there's anything wrong with it. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a, certainly a concern. I think a fair assumption, uh, in part. 
And, you know, this is why we really need families to be engaged when they do see their children uh, coming home with materials that are rooted in some of these ideas or when they overhear, you know, on a, a Zoom class. But this is the, the type of content that's being taught or, you know, to even take it a step beyond that, compelled speech in a way, requiring students or teachers themselves to espouse support for the tenets of critical race theory. I mean, this is the type of thing when you witness it, you should engage with your school board in particular on this. And I know that that is uh, sometimes difficult to do for an individual family. But if you band together with other families and form small groups of parents and make your voices heard with your local school board, uh, we know that that can be a, a powerful way to push back against this. And so families have a role to play, but states really have an important role to play. Every state across the country should require that public school districts are transparent about the content that is taught in school districts across the country. This isn't something that's difficult to do. We can imagine how it would work if we look at colleges across the country. Professors frequently post their syllabi online. That's something that states could require of public school districts across the country so parents have a better sense of the content that they are teaching their children in school. Yeah, and you mentioned, uh, and I mentioned here that the first line of your uh, your piece um, at uh, <laughs> I keep forgetting the name, nationalinterest.org, uh, you, the first line of your piece, uh, you mentioned that uh, the, the federal government will soon be bribing and threatening. Uh, is it more like extortion than it is, uh, I guess a threat is like is extortion. So it's, it's more extortion than it is bribery? Well, and I, I, you know, if we think about federal funding, taxpayer funding of education, you know, use the word uh, bribery. I mean, you don't have a choice to pay your taxes, right? And those tax dollars are levied. And then for education, they are sent to the federal government, which filters it through a BMS Department of Education and then sends the funding back to the state who then sends it back to the local level. Um, so, you know, you, you're certainly uh, seeing your taxpayer dollars filtered through really just a labyrinth of, of government policies that at each layer have strings attached to them in order to get those taxpayer dollars back. I think the closest analogy to what we're seeing transpire today with the proposed rule on these American history and civics grants is what we saw with the Common Core push a few years back, <laughs> I guess now 10 years back. Uh, with Common Core, it was a similar approach. The Obama administration had used $4.35 billion in federal race to the top grants and provided that money to states if those states agreed to adopt standards that were common to a significant number of states, which of course meant Common Core. So we're seeing the same type of approach play out here that districts and programs within districts will have a better chance of winning back their federal funding if they agree to teach according to critical race theory within their American history and civics program. The Common Core was pretty pervasive. Um, how pervasive is this garbage compared to what the, the level to which Common Core reached uh, as far as the, the, the scope of it and, the, and how far, it, you know, how, how many people were being affected by it? How does this, uh, how does this compare to that? Yeah, you know, that's a great question because with Common Core, it was a little easier to identify because there was a set uh, number and there were set standards that were associated with Common Core. Uh, there were clearly articulated math and reading standards that states had to adopt if they wanted to be eligible for funding. Uh, with critical race theory, it's more amorphous. Uh, so uh, critical race theory is an idea but we see it play out through many different types of programs and policies and curricula across the country. So it's a little more difficult to pin down. Uh, at the moment, there is more federal funding behind what was the Common Core initiative, uh, which, of course, is still in place in many states across the country. Uh, but I think that the reach of programs that are uh, loosely affiliated with critical theory uh, we could argue is greater than what we saw with Common Core. Uh, so I think, you know, it's, it's a little difficult to pin down with really concrete numbers in terms of the adoption. But we do know, by the way, that if we look at something like the 1619 Project, that the Pulitzer Center, which has written the curriculum that aligns with 1619, 
says that 4,500 classrooms are already using that curriculum. And in some places like Buffalo, New York, it's being mandated that schools use that 1619 curriculum. Pretty scary. Lindsay, I'm out of time. I appreciate you doing it. You can find the piece at nationalinterest.org. Lindsay Burke, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Okay, that's Lindsay Burke at the, from the Heritage Foundation, and we will be right back. With SRN News, I'm John Scott. Speaking from the White House, President Biden says the gas supply will soon return to normal. This morning, Colonial reported that fuel is beginning to flow to a majority of the markets that they service, and they should be reaching full operational capacity as we speak, as I speak to you right now. Meanwhile, the Biden administration taking steps to punish criminals responsible. The U.S. doesn't believe the Russian government was responsible for the ransomware attack on the Colonial Pipeline, but President Biden says the perpetrators are from Russia. We have been in direct communications with Moscow about the imperative for responsible countries to take decisive action against these ransomware networks. He says his administration is pursuing ways to disrupt ransomware hackers. Separately, Mr. Biden refuses to say whether Colonial paid a ransom. Greg Clugston, Washington. This is SRN News. Have a traumatizing childhood memory of an Easter egg hunt. The big hunt was a big deal in our family, and I have this memory of running and excitedly reaching for eggs only to have my big brother and sister sweep in and steal them at the last second. It's Ryan, and unfortunately, this is a traumatizing reality our Faith and Family Mortgage Team is seeing from families across the country. Families are finding their dream home, only to have it pulled away by another hunter at the last second. At United Faith Mortgage, we unfortunately cannot scare off the other hunters, but we can very quickly get you pre-approved and make it look as good as possible to sellers. And then, once you do grab that Easter egg... See our story and read how our direct lender advantage can often save your family monthly and lifelong money at unitedfaithmortgage.com. We are United Faith Mortgage. United Faith Mortgage is a DBA of United Mortgage Corp. 25 Meadow Park Road, Melbourne, New York. Licensed mortgage banker. For all licensing information, go to NMLSconsumeraccess.org. Corporate NMLS number 1335. Rack NMLS number 65233. Equal housing lender. I license in Alaska, Hawaii, Georgia, Massachusetts, North Dakota, South Dakota, or Utah. Charlie Kirk speaks about the unspeakable. Everything we are doing right now is in violation of the Ministry of Truth's standards and guidelines. Sit down and obey. Do not mention the vaccine. Do not talk about the vaccine. Don't even do anything except post a selfie of you taking the vaccine and talk about how wonderful it is. And if you don't, you're a bad person. You're a racist, and you should pay reparations while you're getting the vaccine. The Charlie Kirk Show, weeknights at 9 on AM 1250. The answer. Learning has definitely changed these days. What hasn't changed is the unwavering support parents received from their local Christian school. Many were quick to adapt to the new normal with remote classes taught by caring teachers who pray for students and their families every day. With many schools offering half-price tuition for first-time enrollees, like Walnut Grove Christian School in West Mifflin, it's a great time to consider Christian education. Find a school that's right for you at theanswerpgh.com slash tuitions. 2021 is the perfect time to add a healthy new habit to your daily wellness routine. Good nasal hygiene. We all know there's bad stuff in the air, allergens, bacteria, viruses, and that some of it's very dangerous. So what can you do to protect yourself? Well, you can clean your nose with Navage. Your nose is the body's air filter, and with Navage, you help your body defend itself by flushing out the crud and germs. I'm Martin Hoke, and I invented Navage, the world's only nose cleaner with powered suction. Navage is easy to use, affordable, and it has over 40,000 online reviews, averaging 4.7 stars. Join millions of Navage users to relieve congestion and allergies, breathe better, sleep deeper, snore less, and feel healthier without drugs. At Navage.com, CVS, Walgreens, Bed Bath, Target, and Rite Aid. You wash your hands and brush your teeth every day. Let 2021 be the year you start cleaning your nose with Navage. N-A-V-A-G-E. Clean nose, healthy life. Navage. AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The Answer. WPGP Pittsburgh. W223CS Pittsburgh. A division of Salem Media Group. Listen on the Answer mobile app. Smart speakers. Tune in. iHeart or Radio.com. Stuck in traffic? We've got the answer. 
Dealing with lots of volume this afternoon. Going to see a very heavy ride on the inbound Parkway West. Roslyn Farms Road to the Fort Pitt Tunnel looks like about a 15-minute backup there. Outbound slowing to Carnegie on the Parkway East. Plenty of congestion there, especially inbound 2nd Avenue to the Fort Pitt Bridge. On the outbound side of 51, slowing to Library Road, about a four-minute delay. That's a look at traffic. I'm Jenny Robinson. AM 1250, the answer. Weather. Partly cloudy skies for tonight with a low of 40. Tomorrow we'll see a mix of clouds and sunshine to wrap up the week. We'll reach a high of 66. Mainly clear skies tomorrow night, low 43. We'll start off the weekend Saturday with partly sunny skies at a high of 69. Sunday we'll see times of clouds and sunshine. Expect a high Sunday of 65. With your AccuWeather forecast, I'm Drew Shannon. This is the John Stackerwald Show on AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The answer. Well, maybe the middle of May and playing a winter sport in the middle of May may be dumb, but uh, this time, like last year, the NHL has a COVID excuse. Uh, the Penguins didn't look much like a playoff team four or five months ago. Now they look like a team that could win the cup. Nobody would laugh if you would uh, say that you think they can. A big reason for that is that they still have Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin, and it's really amazing how long they've been together. And maybe uh, it's, it, people forget how long they've been. Anyway, Josh Yoey and Rob Rossi have a really good piece up at The Athletic right now about the two of them who have become brothers in hockey. Josh joins us now. Josh, thanks for coming on again. How are you? My pleasure, John. How are you? Good, good. So as much as those two guys are appreciated, could you still make a case that uh, lots of people may have started taking them for granted uh, a long time ago. Oh, I think so, uh, especially in the case of Crosby. It, it's pretty astounding to me. He's only ever won the MVP award twice. Isn't that kind of like, I think Chuck Knoll ever won Coach of the Year, maybe not until 1989 or something. Because when yeah. people are so great, you just start taking them for granted. Uh, I think Crosby is one of the five greatest hockey players in history, and his level of play, even at age 33, which is getting kind of old for hockey, uh, really hasn't dipped much. I mean, I, I think Connor McDavid's the best player in the game now, but Crosby's still one of the three or four best players in hockey, and he was the best player in the world for a decade. You just don't see that very much, but, you know, he, he, he matched all the hype when he came to the league, and he's always been great, and, and I think people absolutely have taken him for granted over the years, and probably Malkin to some extent as well. Yeah, there are. Uh, I covered sports for a long time. There are uh, there are two people who I think lived up to their hype. Well, I think I could say three. But the one one was not a pro. The three people who lived up to their hype and surpassed it were Mario Lemieux, Sidney Crosby, and I'll throw in Tony Dorsett. Okay, because mm. I mean he was hyped like crazy and ended up becoming the greatest. Uh, you know, the, the leading rusher in NCAA history, so he, he more than lived up to it. But um, has any Pittsburgh team ever had two better players play together for this long? No, I don't think so. And, you know, people forget that Mario Lemieux and Yarmer Yager didn't play together that much. That's right. uh, you know, they were on the same team for five or six seasons, but Lemieux was hurt all the time. It was a, a really stunningly low amount of games that those two ever played together. Whereas, you know, Crosby entered the league in 2005 and Malkin in 2006. And they've been together for 15 seasons now, never missed the playoffs. Um, I, I can't think of any time in Pittsburgh sports history when two players this great were together for this long. Yeah, this we, the, there, yeah, there have been two players that you might say have were as great because you could take the – the Steelers of the seventies and, sure. and and pick a couple of players from you know any two players any group of two players and say that they were might have been as great as Crosby and Malkin although that might even be a stretch but you know they were together for eight or ten years this is fifteen right. years we're talking about yeah exactly I mean, yeah Joe Green and Terry Bradshaw were teammates for a decade but these guys yeah. are going on twenty years now I mean that's, no it, yeah. it's true and part of it is how young they were. And, you know, athletes have changed a little bit. You're seeing athletes, you know, playing in their 40s now, like Tom Brady and people yeah. like that, for God's sake. But, no, and the sustained excellence is what astounds me. They are legitimate Stanley Cup contenders. They could win the whole thing in a couple of months, and I wouldn't be surprised. They're that good. And it was the same thing 15 years ago. Uh, there really haven't been many dips. Uh, they're just 
always relevant, always one of the best teams in the league, and it all starts with those two. Uh, and both Crosby and Malkin are kind of private guys. Uh, and until this mm-hmm. piece that you wrote, uh, along with uh, Rob Rossi at the Athletic, I I never realized what good buddies they they are. Uh, they really do consider each other family, don't they? There's no rivalry between them. No, and Crosby, you know, he told me from day one he just always liked them. He, he, you know, they push each other, but I don't think there's ever been any jealousy. And to me, the most important part of the story perhaps and the most interesting aspect occurred in 2014 and for those who don't know the olympics took place in sochi russia that year and i know Mm -hmm. for a fact that right before the olympics vladimir putin himself literally texted all of the players on team russia and told them you know you're doing this for mother russia i know you're going to win the gold medal and of course there's a little bit of pressure for you right (laughs) and they didn't even win a medal they embarrassed themselves and, of course, Team Canada, captained by Crosby, wins the gold medal on Russian soil. Pretty big deal. And Crosby would tell me that even later that day, even though he was happy and celebratory, his mind was with Malkin because he knew his friend was hurting. And he knew how difficult that was going to be for Malkin to deal with that embarrassment in his home country. And, and they talked about it a lot in the following months, and they got even closer because of it at that point in time. So I think that just speaks volumes, John, of the – kind of human being Sidney Crosby is. He's just different than anybody I've ever met in my life, uh, let alone yeah. professional athletes who aren't always the greatest people to deal with. Uh, he, he is just a special human being. I mean, there's, I've never met anyone in my life who was just as considerate and as thoughtful as Sidney Crosby. Yeah, I, I'm going to get to that. I want to lay, save that to the end because I want to. Uh, I have a question for you about that, but I, I want to ask you just more about this, the, 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 the relationship between these two players and what they've meant. Has Malkin always deferred to Crosby from the time he got yeah. here? I mean, uh, for, for the most part, yes. Uh, he, he's not comfortable speaking in English. He's right. not comfortable dealing with the media, not because he's a jerk. He's just not comfortable. And it's funny, yeah. if you talk with people from Russia who know him, like Russian journalists, they will actually tell you that Malkin is a freakishly intelligent person. I mean, he's a very worldly, bright guy. And we don't see that side of him because he's not great at speaking the English language. Um, right. But he is. And, yeah, for the most part, he does defer to Crosby. One funny story, though, that's been told over the years. Uh, you may have noticed when you're at games and Malkin always comes to the tunnel last. When they come in, Crosby's always second to last. And the best player on the team usually comes out last. Well, that yeah. happened because they had a conversation right before Malkin's first game. And Sid said, who should go out last? And Malkin said, how many years have you played junior hockey? And Sid said, two. And Gino said, uh, said, I played three years in Super League, so I go out last. <laughs> that's the only, <laughs> that's the only so time. That, and they still do it to this day. Yeah, oh, yeah, because they're both so superstitious, yes. Yeah, yeah. They wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, and that's interesting about Malcolm because, you know, people are really stupid, including people in the media. Uh, I saw it a lot when I was working in baseball in the minor leagues and then just covering uh-huh. the baseball uh, you'd have these Latin American players come up, and they they talk funny, and uh, and the, there are actually people in the media who would who would think that that showed that they were dumb. And these were these are the same people who couldn't find the men's room in in uh, in you know in Venezuela. They could they wouldn't know how to get to the men's room. They wouldn't know how to ask to get there, and the, <clears throat> and they're watching these guys do TV interviews, and they 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 actually make fun of them, and, and so mock and. Well. Uh, you know, he's, he, it took him a while, but he's doing all right now. He is. Well, hey, Roberto Clemente used to be quoted right. saying this and that. You know, <laughs> right. Roberto Clemente was not a stupid man. <laughs> we all no. agree on that. And no, Malkin, and you know what's funny? He, he does speak more than he used to, and he's my favorite person on the team to interview. It, he just says it how it is, and he does have an articulate way about him in his own way, even though he's not comfortable with the language. Um and I've always said when dealing with athletes, it's much more difficult to lie in your second language. So I love talking with the French guys <laughs> yeah. or the European guys because they'll tell you how yeah. it is, whereas the Americans or the English-speaking Canadians, they might throw you a curveball. But, uh, no, not those guys. How much different would it have been for Malkin if the Penguins hadn't won the, uh, the Crosby lottery and he would have come in mm. as a 20-year-old in 2006 <laughs> and he would have been expected to be Sidney Crosby, uh, you know, what Sidney sure Crosby have. has been? Yeah, and, you know, you can look at it either way because one of the most amazing stats when, when you look at Malkin historically 
is that he literally averages more points per game when Crosby is out of the lineup than when he is in the lineup, which makes no sense because the opposition's right. focused more on Malkin when Crosby's out, and yet his numbers are elevated. So I think that tells you something about his talent, perhaps, and something about his character. But, you know, much like Yager, uh, you know, I don't think Yarmer Yager was always comfortable being the captain or doing interviews or being the leader. No, he was not. He was, no. just, a, mm. he was just this all-time great player who just wanted to play and be left alone. And I, yeah. I think there's an element of that with Malkin as well. And that's why Malkin, many times I've seen you know, reporters go up to him asking for an interview, and he's incredibly polite about it. He's, I've never seen him be rude with anyone, but he always says, go talk to Sid. <laughs> go talk to <laughs> Sid. And Crosby, Crosby just sits there and rolls his eyes. But then, of course, Crosby speaks with whoever wants to speak to him because he's the nicest guy in the world. Yeah, yeah. And, and how much pressure was on both of them in those first couple years of uh, their career? More than a couple, I well, guess. There was an, you know, there was an enormous amount. And not just because they were, you know, big-time hyped prospects, but you know, don't forget the Penguins were in danger of leaving Pittsburgh for a long time. And yep, yep. Much, like Mar- much like Mario Lemieux a generation earlier, people were coming back out to the hockey rink to see these kids play. And they were great from day one. I mean, there was no learning curve for for these two. You could see they were Hall of Famers from their first couple of weeks in the league. And um, they just, you know, they've never missed the playoffs. I mean, from the very beginning, they they thrived under that pressure. In fact, absolutely, it was considerable. And you said they do push each other, do you think? Oh, sure they do. And I I think it's a healthy competition. They both talked about it. You know, Crosby will say, eh. You know, for a couple of weeks, Gino was playing better than me, so that kind of pushed me a little bit. But, but there's never been any animosity, I don't think. I, I certainly have never sensed that. Hey, they both have egos. So you're that great of an athlete. You're going to have a little bit of an ego, even though we don't see much of it from either of them. Mm-hmm. But, no, I, I just, you know, from the very beginning, I think they always liked one another genuinely. And uh, they're closer than people think. I mean, they their families spend a lot of time together. They've gotten to know each other over the years, and... It's just, you know, they're from different places. As we said in the article, well, Crosby's from a harbor town in Canada and Malkin's from an industrial town in the middle of nowhere in Russia. Uh, they're from very different places, but they just have understood each other, I think, from the very beginning. Talking to Josh Yoey, he and Rob Rossi uh, went together on a really good piece at The Athletic. You can go see it right now uh, about the uh, about Crosby and Malkin, and it's a a really good look, Josh, uh, at those two guys. You know that that I haven't seen before, and um, I, I, it's it's a great piece. Everybody should check it out. Um, so, Crosby is uh, pretty well established as one of the five best players ever, as you said, mm. and I agree with you. And um, Malkin, though, he didn't make the top one hundred when a list came out a few <laughs> years ago. So, where would you rank Malkin right now in that top whatever wherever you want to put him? Well, you know, it's funny. I, I was in Los Angeles at the All-Star game the night that the, that team was announced, the top 100 team. That's yeah. as angry as I've ever seen Mario Lemieux. He was furious about that, and Crosby wasn't happy about it either. Um, they were both very disturbed, and they, I think they both felt there was a lot of uh, quote-unquote Russian bias. All the voters were Canadian yeah. and American. Uh, I think he's one of the 50 best ever easily. Uh, in fact, if you look at points per game for what that's worth, he's 13th all-time in points per game. I think Crosby's fifth or sixth. Yeah. And it's hard to score in these days. These aren't the early 80s. So no. for, right. I mean, I, I really, I look at Crosby and Malkin and Ovechkin. I know Ovechkin's not as popular in Pittsburgh. Like him or not, the numbers, those three have put up in this era. Um, you know, they're, Crosby and Crosby's the best of the three players. But they are all three special players. And for Malkin not to be considered one of the 100 best NHL players is just the biggest joke ever. I think everybody knows he's probably one of the 20 or 30 best ever. Yeah. Malkin uh, really struggled at the beginning of this season. Where's his game now heading into the playoffs? Well, he did. And right before he got hurt in the middle of March, we saw the Malkin of old for a couple of weeks. Uh, He really found his legs. He was their best player for a stretch. Then he got hurt. Uh, he's only played four games uh, since coming back from the injury. I didn't think he looked in top form. He did not appear to have his legs. Um, but that said, I think it's a good thing that he was able to play in those four games. That should help him for the postseason. So I don't think he's on top of his game right now. But when you're dealing with a player that great, 
it can it can show up pretty quickly. And I I have a feeling that there's a real chance these Penguins can make a run this spring. I, I like this team a lot, and uh, it still starts with those two guys, just as it always has. Yeah. Well, we're talking to Josh Yowie. Uh He's uh, the beat writer, covers the Penguins for The Athletic. So I have a question for you. Right. Uh, and you've been covering the team for a while, and you uh, this is a good one for you. If Mario Lemieux is a 100, okay, what uh-huh. is Sidney Crosby? Hmm. Well, <laughs> I'd say he's probably about a 96. Um, yeah. Nobody in the history of the sport was more physically gifted than Lemieux, and not by a long shot. He's just in his own universe. Uh, right, there's I never. To me, Mario Lemieux is the most underappreciated athlete in North American sports history. I, I, I and I know I'm biased because I'm from here, but there's yeah. never been anything like him, and he doesn't really. Well, get Well, let me just shot. interrupt you to say that he's, he's the best player mm-hmm. I've ever seen in any team sport at any time. Yeah, me too. And I, I mean, you've been around longer than I have, but I, I just, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if you saw him play when he was in his prime, you saw him play in person, you just know that you saw something that you had never seen before and that you would never see again. He, he was that good. But Crosby, he's a, you know, Crosby is not as physically gifted as a Bobby Orr or a Mario Lemieux, but he's the hardest-working superstar there's ever been. Just watch him play every night. He never takes a shift off. Never. He just worked so hard, and he just does everything at a high level. He's literally been one of the three best players in hockey for 15 years. So that's really all you need to know. Yeah. Well, I went to the first scrimmage that Lemieux played in at Mount Lebanon Ice Arena yeah. when he was, I don't think he had turned 19 yet. And um, uh, they dropped the puck. And, I mean, I, I had heard all the stuff about him, but I had never really seen him play in person. And with, and I'm not exaggerating, Josh. Within 30 seconds of the puck dropping, I knew he was the best player on the ice. And <laughs> I came back from that scrimmage, and I said to the sports producer, uh, I said, uh, he's the most exciting player in Pittsburgh right now, and it's not close. And he laughed at me because he didn't see him. But that, uh-huh. So that's how long I've, you know, I only have a little bit of time, though, so I want to ask you this last question. Uh, I haven't spent time around the team for a while, uh, and you, but you have. Uh, I still have yet to hear anybody say a bad word about Sidney Crosby. Have you? <laughs> he is probably the most decent human being I've ever met in my life, and I'm not including athletes. The guy goes to children's hospital all the time, and he specifically says to the reporters, please don't write about it. I don't want attention for it. I don't want a camera crew there. Uh, he just genuinely cares about people. I, I have never seen anything quite like it. He's the most humble millionaire I've ever met, I promise you that. And uh, I know a lot of people who know Sidney Crosby, never one word. I've, never, I've known him for 12 years. I've never seen him be, be the least bit rude with anyone, and he has to put up with a lot. A lot of attention, a lot of requests, mm-hmm. and he is just, you, you can be proud to be a Penguins fan because of him. I will say that. Hey, Josh, uh, great piece up there at The Athletic. Everybody should check it out. You and uh, Rob Rossi did a great job on it. Then have a, enjoy the playoffs. I think you're going to be uh, in we'll them for it. a while. <laughs> yeah, me too. It's good to talk with you, John. All right, thank you. That's Josh Joey. We'll be right back. Every great team needs a great leader. As a successful local radio sales manager, you know you have what it takes to help others succeed. Salem Media Group has a place for you as the Pittsburgh team's next general sales manager. Here, you can put your talent and creativity to work as you lead a seasoned marketing team in a professional and family-like atmosphere. As you hit the streets with our local media strategists, you'll use your knowledge of radio, digital, and social media marketing to provide integrated, client-based media marketing solutions that will help our customers succeed. Minimum two years' experience as a local sales manager, director of sales, or sales manager with a proven track record of success is required. Must be proficient in Excel, Word, Outlook, and PowerPoint. See full details, responsibilities, and requirements when you apply now at SalemMedia.com slash careers. That's SalemMedia.com slash careers. Salem Media Group is an equal opportunity employer. It's finally time to replace that old leaky roof, or how about some new siding? You can count on Windows or Us, the area's premier exterior replacement company. This is John. 
John Steigerwald. With over 50 years' experience in the home remodeling industry, Windows R Us offers repair and replacement for roofs, siding, gutters and downspouts, windows, entry doors, even decks. A leaky roof left unfixed can lead to mold and mildew. Maybe you lost siding during the recent windstorms. Don't put those repairs off. Windows R Us offers 12 months no interest financing and no processing fee through Dollar Bank. Want new factory direct replacement windows for your home or office? Choose from 100% vinyl, commercial aluminum, wood, and composite. And how'd you like to never clean your gutters again? For a limited time, get a free gutter filter with the purchase of complete siding or roof replacement. That offers valid through 63021. All with 12 months, no interest, no processing fee, and backed by the best warranty. Warranty in the industry. Schedule your free estimate and inspection today at WindowsRUsPittsburgh.com. That's WindowsRUsPittsburgh.com. Warning listening to this program may expose you to toxic masculinity. The John Steigerwald Show on AM 1250. The answer. Oh boy. Speaking of masculinity, I'll close with this uh, story today that I just came across a couple minutes ago. Uh, Penn State faculty moved to erase the terms junior and senior, calling them, quote, male-centric. This is from uh, PJ Media. Last month, the faculty senate at Pennsylvania State University passed a resolution urging the school to erase certain words from its lexicon due to the supposedly problematic legacy of the, quote, typically male-centered world out of which the terms grew. The resolution aims at gendered pronouns such as he, him, his, and she, her, hers. I guess they got a problem with that, too. But it also demonizes the four iconic terms for a person's years in college and high school, freshman, sophomore, junior, and senior. The university, as with most all academic uh, institutions worldwide, has grown out of a typically male-centered world. As such, many terms in our lexicon carry a strong male-centric binary character to them. Terms such as freshman are decidedly male-specific, while terms such as upperclassmen can be interpreted as both sexist and classist. Uh, terms such as junior and senior are parallel to Western male father-son naming conventions. You know the drill. This is what they're doing at Penn State. It's just, it's just these, are, these are institutions of higher learning, and every day we find stuff that's un- Believably stupid, and it's, it's you pay big money to go be taught things by these people. Oh, when is it ever going to end? Probably never. But uh, there you have it, Penn State. We are Penn State. I'll see you tomorrow. The John Staggerwald Show is a production of the Answer Pittsburgh and Salem Media Group.